when I was um, 11 years old, um, I was a big fan of the boy band New Kids on the Block. New Kids on the Block. There they are. Um, I don't know, some of you may be familiar with their work. Um, they look like they have a lot of attitude, but I was a big fan of New Kids on the Block when I was about 11 years old. My pictures were covered, no, sorry, my walls were covered in their pictures. Um, I had New Kids on the Block shoelaces. Everything, I was really kind of into New Kids on the Block, and yet, this is not a part of my life that I tend to talk about very much. This is part of my life that I tend to keep fairly quiet for obvious reasons. It's not something I tend to shout about. Now, you, you too may have a part of your life like that, that you just don't like to share too widely, part of your life that you maybe keep to yourself. Well, one of the great things about these baptism mornings is that they're so public. Caleb and Billy this morning have gone very public on their faith. And you know, that is not an easy thing to do. That comes with a risk. We're very fortunate to live in a part of the world where we can talk openly about our faith. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. It still comes with a risk. I remember back to my own baptism, some of the thoughts that run through my head. What are the church going to think of me when I share this story? What are even my friends and family, these people who have grown up with me and known me all my life, what are they going to think of me? What will they say? Sharing your story like that comes with a risk. So why do they do it? What gave Caleb and Billy the confidence, the boldness to come up here in front of you and share their story? We're going to look very briefly this morning at a passage from the Bible. It's from the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 14. If you've got a Bible, it'd be helpful if you could turn to that now. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It's going to come up on the screen behind me so you can follow it there. This is Paul, and he's explaining why he longs to visit the church in Rome. So Romans chapter 1, verse 14 says this. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. See, Paul had an eagerness to preach the gospel. That word translated eager there describes a passion. It describes a fierceness. Paul was excited This is what he lived for, to talk about Jesus. You can see he's bubbling over with it. He's fired up with it. It's the same way that kind of avid football fans talk about their team. Or music fans, or film fans, or fans of a restaurant. They come back from this thing and they they can't help talking about it because they love it so much. They're bubbling over with excitement. Paul was like that about talking about Jesus. And yet, talking about Jesus made Paul's life a whole lot more difficult. Paul was mocked for talking about Jesus. Paul was beaten for it. Paul was imprisoned for talking about Jesus. If anyone had reason to be tempted to feel ashamed of the gospel, it was Paul. And yet Paul spoke about it boldly. Here he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The last line of the book of Acts says about Paul, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Why did he do it? How did he do it? How did Billy and Caleb come up here this morning and share so boldly? We're going to look this morning at two things. First of all, why the gospel is offensive. Why the gospel is offensive. 
And secondly, if it is offensive, why would someone be unashamed of it? So first, why the gospel is offensive. See, the gospel offends people. And the reason for that is it says things about us that we don't tend to like to hear about ourselves. We tend to believe that human nature is essentially good. But the gospel tells a very different story. See, the gospel tells us that we're a broken people, that we're a lost people. It says that there is a Father God, a loving creator God who made us and made us to reflect something of his image to our world, something of his kindness, something of his love, something of his selflessness to the world. And yet we all fall short. We all fall short of that. We're made for relationship with him. And yet we turn away from him. We go our own way. We do our own thing. And it plays out in our thoughts, in the things that we say, the way we treat people, our actions. Everything we do shows that we're turning against God. But the gospel too says that he, God, makes the first move. He sends his son Jesus to come down to earth to live the perfect life that we could never live. And then to die on a cross. And on the cross taking upon himself all our sin. Everything that we've ever done wrong. And on the cross, the wrath of this just and righteous God pours out not on us but on Jesus. And he takes the punishment that we deserve. And the gospel says that when we put our trust in Jesus, when we say, yeah, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I know I've gone my own way and do my own thing, but I believe that you are God. The gospel says that we're made right with our Father in heaven. That our relationship with him is restored. That we get to have eternal life in heaven. That's the gospel. It's incredible news, the gospel. But it's also offensive. It offends people. Tim Keller writes this. Tim Keller, the Christian author, writes this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The gospel is offensive. So why would someone be unashamed of it? Why are Caleb and Billy unashamed of the gospel? Here's why. It's because they've experienced the power of God in their lives. And now they're building their lives on it. They've experienced the power of God. And now they're building their lives on it. Let me explain what I mean. First of all, they've experienced the power of God. See, in that passage I read at the start, Paul writes this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is saying the reason he isn't ashamed of the gospel is because it's not just a statement, it's not just a message, it's not just a clever soundbite. Paul is unashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. The gospel changes lives. We've heard it again here this morning as Caleb and Billy have just shared a little bit of what God has done. The gospel changes people's lives. And you know, only the gospel has the power to do this because only the gospel gets to the root of our problem. Nothing else can change our lives like this. Education can't change our lives like the gospel can. Medicine can't do it. Politics can't do it. Charity can't do it. Only the gospel gets to the root of our real problem. See, our real problem is our broken relationship with our Father in heaven. And so all other solutions to that problem fall short. They fall short. Imagine for a moment that you've got a leak in your bathroom upstairs. And it's, one of the effects of that is it leaks down through the, into the ceiling downstairs. And it, leads, it leaves a stain on the, on the ceiling downstairs. If you've ever had that terrible thing to happen. But a terrible way, or a really 
weird way of approaching that would be to just paint over that stain in the ceiling and just expect the problem to go away. You need to get to the root of the problem. Because what will happen is that water will just come rushing back through the ceiling again and you'll have another mess. You haven't fixed it. But the gospel gets right to the root of our problem. See, the gospel has the power to save people from their sins. It has the power to save people from their sins and change lives. You know, Paul, who wrote that passage, he knew this. Paul had seen that in his own life. Paul was a man who was very rebellious to God. You see that very openly in the way he lived. He was a man who persecuted Christians, completely against Christians. And then he had an encounter with Jesus that totally turned his life around. He'd seen it in his own life, and he'd seen it in the lives of others. Everywhere Paul went as he preached the gospel, yes, he saw rejection. Yes, he saw opposition. But he also saw the power of God at work. He saw people healed, people raised to life, people set free. Paul's seen it in the life of others. And we're seeing it here at King's. Praise God, we see it here at King's. You're sat this morning near to people whose lives have been turned around by the truth about who Jesus Christ is. It's true. Addictions that have been broken. Marriages that have been restored. Healings that have, that have happened because of who Jesus is. People set free because of the power of the gospel. I want to ask you this. Have you experienced this for yourself? Have you experienced the power of the gospel in your own life? See, Paul writes that the, the gospel brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is the way that God has chosen to save his people. This is the way that God has chosen to bring people back into relationship with him through the power of the gospel. Whatever your background, whatever you've done, whatever your life has been like, whatever your story is, the gospel is there available to you. Jesus says, I love you. I'm for you. Just submit to me. Acknowledge who I am. And I will turn your life around. You'll see the power of God at work in your life. Caleb and Billy have seen that. They've seen it. They've seen it, and so they're not ashamed to say that and to stand up here in front of you this morning. They've experienced the power of God. And you know what? They're building their lives on this now. One of the reasons that we feel ashamed of things is is when we put our confidence in something or someone, and we realize after a while that it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. It lets us down. If you're putting your confidence in something or someone, you have to know that your confidence in that thing isn't misplaced. You have to know that that thing will take your weight. I was walking um, a week ago. You remember it was a really cold Sunday morning last Sunday, even colder than this morning. And I was walking through the rye and the lake there was completely frozen over. And one of my kids said to me, Daddy, can we walk on the ice? (laughs) Can we walk on the ice? And I must admit, I was a little bit tempted to walk on the ice because it looks like fun, doesn't it? It looks like you could walk on that ice and it looks like it could take your weight. It looks strong. And maybe if we had walked on that ice, we would have gone a little way on it. Perhaps it was strong enough to hold us for a while. But after a while, you know, I know what ice is like. I said no to my kids, by the way, just to, let you, <laughs> just to tell you that. And the reason is I know what ice is like. I know that ice can be strong, but, but ultimately it will crack. It won't take your weight. If I was to put my weight and my family's weight on that ice, my confidence, our confidence as a family would be misplaced. And you know, a lot of things in life are like that ice. They look like they're strong. They look like you can put your trust and your faith and your confidence in them. But actually, they'll let you down. 
your confidence in that thing will be misplaced. And it might be tempting because you might have seen other people put their confidence in these things. But do it yourself and you'll find that ultimately your confidence is misplaced. You know, one of the hardest things in youth work is when you see young people putting their confidence in things that you know are not, are not good enough, are not strong enough. You think, don't put all your confidence in that relationship. Don't put all your confidence in that boy or that girl. Don't put all your confidence in that group of friends. Don't put all your confidence even in your schoolwork. Yes, work hard, but don't put everything on that. And you know, it's not just teenagers that do that. We all do that to some degree. We put our confidence in things that won't take our weight. And I want to tell you this morning that the gospel will take your weight. You can put your confidence in the gospel. You can put your confidence in, your go- in the gospel. You can build your life on this. Psalm 25 says this, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. See, these two guys, Caleb and Billy, getting baptized this morning, this isn't just a small part of their lives that they're sharing right now. This is what they're building their lives on. This is, what, this is, this is the most central thing now to their lives. They're going to put everything on this, their confidence on this. And I want to think, you can do that. You two, Caleb and Billy, getting baptized, you can do that this morning. You can put your confidence in him. He will never, ever let you down. He will never let you down. What about the rest of us here this morning? What are we putting our confidence in? I want to ask you that this morning. What are you putting your confidence in? What are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your faith in? Is it strong enough to hold you? Is it good enough? Can you be sure that your confidence in that thing isn't misplaced? When you put your trust in the gospel, it can take you. It's powerful. You can build your life on that. I want to say finally, in the lead up to the American presidential election last year, supporters of Hillary Clinton, they ended their social media posts, so their Twitter posts, Instagram posts, with with this hashtag, hashtag I'm with her. Now obviously Hillary Clinton lost the election last year, but for the people who were following her, this was a very public way of saying I'm with her. My allegiance is with her. Part of what Caleb and Billy are doing this morning is they're saying, my allegiance is with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's the more remarkable thing, that Jesus says the same thing to you. You know, he, looking at who he is and looking at who we are, he's this holy, righteous, kind, loving God. And we know what we're like. And yet Jesus says he's not embarrassed to associate himself with us. Hebrews 2 verse 11 says this, Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us who put our trust in him, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He is not ashamed, Caleb, to call you his brother. Billy, he's not ashamed to call you his brother. He's not ashamed to say that. He loves you. And you know, Jesus gets rejection. We might face a little bit of this in life. Jesus gets rejection. He understands shame. The cross was a shameful way to die. He was stripped of all dignity and hung on a cross. And the the Bible says that he did that willingly for us. And he took all our sin and shame upon himself on the cross. And now when we put our trust in him, he delights to call us his brother, to call us his sister, that's good news, isn't it? That's incredible news. And Caleb and Billy, you, you know, you may face rejection as you walk through life, not ashamed of Jesus. 
as you stand for him, as you speak for him, as you live for him, that he will never, ever let you down. He is faithful to you. You'll find that. He's faithful to you. My life is testament to that. Many people's lives in this room are testament to that. He is faithful to you. He is a faithful God. He loves you. He's with you. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Your confidence in him is not misplaced. You can build your life on this. Amen? Amen. Amen.